Shabbat Shalom, everybody. A good Erev Shabbos. Uh, the Vortex on Parashat Va'era, second parasha in the book of Shemot, and the beginning of the Grand Redemption. We begin to see in this week's parasha uh, what the rabbis call revealed miracles. Miracles take place all the time, and they certainly took place throughout the book of Breshit, but they were what the rabbis refer to as concealed miracles. And now we are witnessing re the revelation of miracles, probably for two reasons. Firstly, and obviously to um, explain to Pharaoh that it will be in his interests and the interests of his country to let the Jewish people go out of bondage. But also for the Jewish people, the particular people at that time, bear in mind who they were, what they were. They were slaves, simple peasant folk working hard, uh, no ability to connect with or relate to any deity of any kind. And uh, they needed to see the exhibition of God's power as uh, the, the uh, plagues basically uh, uh, offset almost everything that the Egyptian gods and magicians could do. And they began to believe in the power of God, which was a precondition, obviously, to the, uh, to the Exodus process. Exhibiting the mindset of these slaves was their reaction when they were first told that they would be redeemed and would be delivered to Israel. And um, the, the Torah uses two words, which is kotzer ruach. They, they were disbelieving uh, of what was being told to them because of this literally shortness of breath. Kotzer ruach is a shortness of breath, but I prefer a more uh, generous or spiritual analysis, uh, which is kotzer ruach really could be read as kotzer ruchniut. They were in a place where they didn't have a spiritual component to their lives and therefore were unable to imagine uh, at this point uh, the redemption that was that was planned for them. It was just out of their frame of, of reference. It is extremely noteworthy that of the 10 plagues, which we're going to be seeing seven during this week's parasha and three are saved over for next week's parashat bo, uh, the first three of the 10 plagues were not uh, instigated or activated by Moshe, but rather by Aharon. And I think the lesson over here is a powerful one in gratitude. Moshe did not uh, activate the first three plagues because they related to the water in the River Nile, which had saved his life by um, allowing him to uh, float on it in the Teva, in the Ark. Um, and uh, secondly, the, um, the sand, which had saved his life by allowing him to bury the Egyptian who he had killed, uh, and therefore uh, it was uh, indetectable, and he was able to uh, never really be punished or caught for that, for that act. And I think uh, gratitude is, as, as I've previously said, the hallmark of the Jewish people, and it's not just an attribute, but it's a core element of who we are. In fact, our names are Yehudim, which basically means those who are grateful. And it's impossible to be a, a Jew without being basically in a permanent state of, uh, of gratitude and humility. Those of us who have been blessed with mentors, guides, and advisors who've helped us along the way should keep in mind that many of them deserve gratitude, not only for them, but for ourselves. The attitude of gratitude is such a powerful place to be, which comes directly out of humility and is a characteristic worth practicing 
and improving to live a more powerful life. We see the power of, of strong and well-built partnerships. When Moshe tells God that he's unable to carry out the mission because he is aral svatayim, he is uh, sealed uh, of mouth. In other words, he has a speech defect. Um, God says to him, don't worry, I'll give you Aharon and he will be your spokesman. And we see that partnership uh, of um, complementary strengths and abilities working so beautifully throughout the process of redemption. Great partnerships are very powerful things. Great marriages, great friendships, great relationships between family. And we see that complementary does not mean bad. Different doesn't not mean irreconcilable. In fact, they can add strength to the value of a partnership. At the beginning of the process, Aaron and Moshe go to Paro, and uh, Aaron takes the mater, the staff, and the rabbis tell us this is the same staff that Avraham used, that all the avot used. In fact, Moshe used it when he was a shepherd and became the staff which lifted up the waters at the parting. Moshe held it. This same staff, when it was thrown down by Aharon uh, on the uh, floors of the palace of Pharaoh, became a snake. And that obviously alludes to Gun Aden and the evilness of the snake. The, the magicians of Egypt also did the same trick, but the uh, snake of Aharon ate the snakes of the magicians of Egypt. And what we see over here is that where something is located, the environment impacts what it is, what the thing is. So the environment of holiness uh, enabled the mate to remain a mate. But even that sacred mate, when placed on the ground in the desecrated floor of Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's palace, became the lowly um, snake. And so we learn from that, that environment is very, very powerful. The Lublin, a rabbi, rabbi tells us that, that the environment governs who we are. We have the capacity to go from one to the other, depending on who we associate with. In fact, there is a theory that each of us is the sum total of the characteristics of the five people we spend most time with. Fascinating idea. In fact, my late mother, Alea Shalom Dorin Gerber, used to say, show me your friends and I'll tell you who you are. The question is asked as to why we needed 10 plagues and not one massive plague uh, could have done. Why did it need to go in increasing degrees of severity? And there are many good answers. One is that we had to go through the same process uh, to create the Jewish people, that God went through creating the world. At the beginning of Breshit, we know that God created the world with 10 ma'amarot, with 10 sayings. And so this idea of 10 as the steps necessary for creation is mirrored in the creation of the Jewish people, which is now taking place as this bunch of slaves who had worked tirelessly for over 200 years was about to be redeemed and the Jewish people was about to be created. The 10 plagues are given abbreviations uh, from the Haggadah. We know that they can also be called Ditzach Adash Ba'achab, that's the first three, the second three, and the last four. Most obvious question to be asked is why three, three, and four? It's such an odd enumeration. It could have been the first five and the second five, which in many ways would make more sense since the first five were given um, without warning and the second five were given with warning. And there are other distinctions 
that could be neatly drawn between those two. However, what we see is that the progression of the of the um, of the plagues really moved in tandem with this process. The first three dealt with plagues that came from and under the ground. The second set of three plagues happened on the ground, and the fourth happened from the heavens. And so we see that physically, um, the um, the plagues themselves were being elevated from the lowliest level of the ground to the heavens, uh, as well as in uh, severity and intensity. The ten plagues were obviously designed to punish uh, the Egyptians and particularly Pharaoh for what they had done. But the even greater reason was to make sure that the beginning of the process of removing Egypt from the Jews was beginning as we were about to see the process where the Jews were being removed from Egypt. And so the Jews who had lived there for hundreds of years and had seen only the Egyptian gods and the Egyptian worship had to be shown that every one of the Egyptian gods was not a match for the Jewish God. And so the 10 plagues go through every one of those elements that are sacred to the Egyptians and demystifies them, desanctifies them, and brings them to their lowest level so that the Jews see with their own eyes that this series of gods which had been worshipped in front of them by the Egyptians for all those years was in fact a worthless creation of Egyptian fantasy. A powerful lesson is seen when we watch Paro witnessing the miracles of Hashem in front of him, and yet he doesn't change his mind. Uh, just to give you two examples, uh, when the staff is cast down by Aharon and becomes the snake, uh, and, he, and uh, Pharaoh sees Aharon's staff swallowing their snakes, Here's the quote from verse 13. Uh, but Pharaoh's heart remained steadfast, and he did not hearken to them as the Lord had spoken. What you see over here is obstinacy, obstinacy of the greatest form. You see things happening in front of you, and you simply don't believe them. Another example is when the livestock uh, is being killed under the plagues. Uh, and here's the quote. Pharaoh inquired, and indeed not a single head of Jewish livestock had died, so Pharaoh's heart became hardened, and he did not free the people. That is a fascinating idea also. You see this happening in front of you, and you become more committed to your course of action and less willing to change. You know, there's a great quote which says, there are two kinds of fools, those who keep changing their mind and those who never change their mind. And knowing when to change your mind is a sign of great wisdom. And we see that the obstinacy of Pharaoh was a key part of how he ran his life and for which he was so severely punished. And finally, uh, the four words of redemption, which give rise to the four cups and the theme of four throughout the Seder, as we see four questions, four cups, four sons, and four expressions of redemption. Um, so the theme four goes throughout and it's clearly linked to the four cups and also the four verses of redemption. At the beginning of the Parsha, we see the four words of redemption in verse 6. And those four words again of redemption, Hotseti, Hitzalti, Gaalti, Velakati. And then there is a fifth word which is not covered, but which deals with the Messianic era where it says Vehevati, 
and I will bring you to the land. And so this idea of four, with the fifth being messianic, is the theme of all the fours. Not only is it uh, relevant over here with the four words of redemption, where we have a hidden fifth, which deals with the messianic era, but it applies to all of the fours. Just one more example is in theory, we drink four cups of wine, but in fact, there is a fifth. It's the hidden fifth. It's the fifth that is Kos Eliyahu, the, the uh, prophet who will be here to lead us back at the time of the Messiah. And so Pesach is a time that stretches back to the origin of the Jewish people and future to the ultimate redemption of the Jewish people. And the Pesach Seder, therefore, can be seen as a magic time machine going back to the beginning of the Jewish people and going all the way through to the end. In fact, at the Pesach Seder, I always tell our family and guests to do that, to buckle in for a magic ride from the very beginning of the Jewish people, Arami or Vedavi, uh, to the present time. Present is symbolized by eating, the most fully present thing we can do. And uh, when we finished eating, we zip ourselves back up, get back into the time machine and go forward all the way to the end of time. And all the Haggadah, uh, all the elements of the Haggadah that take place after eating are future looking, culminating in the Messianic era. And with that optimistic thought, let me end this uh, vortex and also wish everybody an amazing new year filled with all that we wish for and nothing else, only abundant good tidings. Shabbat Shalom, Kodesh Tov, and a great new year.